0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Show podcast. I am Scott Radley, in for Bill. One more day, Apple made an announcement this week that its revenues were going to be down. That caused the stock market to go, "Uh uh-oh, is that really about Apple, or is it about China, or what is it about? Marvin Ryder explains. Could the stock market woes hit Canada? That we'll also talk about. How difficult is it to sell a home in which somebody has been killed or died or some other crime has happened? And what do real estate agents have to do when they find out that that was the case? And a Hamilton woman is part of a startup group that is beginning to work on a website geared for women about sports that includes them and makes them feel more involved in the discussion as fans and participants. We'll talk to her. Stay with us here on the Bill Kelly Show podcast.
1: Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML.
0: First up today, I was going to press a button to get him on the phone, but he's sitting directly across <laughs> from me. I don't really have to do Live, that. in studio. In studio, Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business. Glad to have you and Thanks for being here. Glad to be here. Uh, people who were watching the stock market yesterday, and if you have stocks, probably you were paying attention. You should have been paying attention. If you don't, you were probably paying attention. It has been The stock market has been volatile for the past while, but yesterday it was a 660-point plunge. Uh, that's in the States. The TSX was down 135 points. Now everyone is waiting to see what happens today. Of course, though, this makes a lot of people jittery when they see numbers like this these are not the kind of numbers especially if you are in your retirement years or (laughs) approaching those years and you need the market to be up a little bit people get a little bit um a little bit clinchy a little bit anxious should they be
2: well, I think yes. Uh, the short word, short answer to your question is yes. So you're absolutely right. For the month of October, the key word was volatility, then November, then December. Now we're into January and no end in sight of this roller coaster ride that the, at least American stock market, Canada has moved up and down, but nowhere near to the extremes that the New York stock market has. Now, why is this going on? There's a perfect storm of factors. Let's start with the obvious one. Donald Trump. Uh, Mr. Trump tweets, and I don't think he still understands that the words of a president carry weight, and people parse those words closely. So, for instance, this was uh, just before uh, Christmas, Mr. Trump uh, mused, mused about firing the Federal Reserve Board chairman. That would be the first time in two centuries, two centuries, that the president had ever interfered in monetary policy, and that got the market really jittery. Uh, Then uh, we talk about China. Uh, He released a tweet in which he said, I just had a long conversation with the Chinese president looking good for a deal. Suddenly the market soared a 1,000 points because they don't want this China-U.S. trade war, war between the two biggest economic powers going on. They're in a ceasefire and they want a deal. "Oh, oh, Oh, there's a deal imminent, and of course now there's been no deal. And the Chinese president comes out and says, I don't know what he's talking about. Yes, we talked for a while. And that's what the market is. Layered over all of this, though, Scott, is a general worry about a recession, and I'm here to tell you I don't think people should be worried about a recession. But it is true that historically, I'm sorry, dinner up for a sec. Are you talking Canada or the states, both, or both? Both. Okay. Historically, in North America, the time between recessions is about ten years. If you average it out over the last 50, 60 years, about every 10 years. And if you think back, our last recession was 2007 8 You add 10 years to that, you get 2018. Here 20. we are. Wait a minute, this is 2019. So you've got a whole pool of of people in the stock market just thinking, oh my gosh, you know, a recession might be imminent. There's no reason to think this, even though it's a historical average, like all averages, there's a plus or minus around it. And honestly, if I could put a lid over Canada, there's no reason to think we're creeping into any recession at all. But Mr. Trump being Mr. Trump and being so volatile himself sends these funny signals, and people are worried that one of these might just send the market over the edge. And even if it doesn't, Scott, and then I'm going to let you back into the conversation. Sorry, it's one-sided. No, no, listen, I'll go have a coffee. You keep going. (laughs) You're better than me at this. Um, The other thing that people are watching now that 2019 has dawned is the end of March. Mm. That's a magical thing called Brexit. We have a big vote coming up around January the 14th, I think it is, in the British House of Commons. Uh, Theresa May says she has a deal for a soft Brexit where Britain keeps many advantages of being in the European Union but gives up some control. Um I don't know how that's going to play out, and everyone's quite worried about that on the global stage. So whether it's Donald Trump or or Britain or even, for that matter, some trade policy in China or what they're doing in Saudi Arabia with oil prices, all of these things could trigger a recession, but it would all happen
0: outside of Canada, and that's why the investors are so nervous. They keep looking for the signs the sky is falling. Yesterday, and I mean, obviously all your points well taken, but yesterday's actions seem to be predicated and precipitated by Apple announcing Apple. that their revenues were down, I think, 5% they were expecting for the last quarter. This all seemed to start anyway yep. from one company. Yep. One company can be big, even Apple that is this big, can be big enough to cause these kind of rumblings?
2: Well, you know, uh, there are five companies that we we tend to look at that, that kind of drive the the American stock market among five tech companies. So Apple, Amazon, uh, Netflix, Facebook, and uh, Google. And as their fortunes go, so go the market. So yes, you're actually right. Yesterday, Tim Cook sent out a, it was almost an unprecedented letter to shareholders to say... Um, Our forecast for the rest of this year is not as strong as we thought it would be for the phones. Every time we bring out a new smartphone, people rush to buy it, and they're not rushing to buy the 10X. Uh, we thought people would upgrade. They're not upgrading at the same rates. And then he layered in, of course, the China controversy and the tariffs with China and and other markets and, and other competitors uh, and also saying that what people are doing is they're upgrading their phone's batteries as opposed to upgrading the phones. They don't necessarily feel they need the new capabilities of the phone, especially given their cost. So, you know, when you're that big uh, and you go, wait a minute, there's a the bloom is off the road on this tech. And then you also had a story yesterday about Facebook that Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, had announced, this would be two years ago, that he was going to divest a certain amount of Facebook stock. Um and actually in the goal of, of becoming a rather poor man by the time he dies, he actually wants to give his fortune away. But he also announced yesterday that he had ceased selling the stock. It had fallen by 20% and he wasn't going to sell it at this reduced price. Well, wait a minute. So Facebook's got some troubles and Apple's got some troubles. And everyone's been waiting to hear about Christmas news from Amazon. How was the Christmas season on Amazon? Again, nervous investors look at any little sign the sky is falling and they overread it. I don't know which way the market's going to go today, and it's very dangerous to make predictions, but it would not surprise me to see the market go up a couple hundred points in the United States, because another thing that investors do is they tend to overreact, and so the sky is falling, the sky is falling, oh wait a minute, the sky didn't fall, buy back, buy back, buy back, so I wouldn't
0: be surprised if there's a little rally today. So you threw me off. I was trying to figure out where I apply to Mark Zuckerberg to get Zuckerberg <laughs> to get some of that money that he's desperately trying well, to get. Well,
2: he's joining forces with people like Bill Gates. And, Will,
0: and Bill and uh, Buffett, uh, Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. And,
2: and, and I, in fact, I just read an interesting update. They just released a report, the uh, Gates Foundation, on their efforts to, to cure disease in the world and what have you. And, and it really is fascinating to see people using their wealth for something other than buying luxury yachts and, and seven homes around the world. I
0: I applaud them for what they're trying to do. So if he wants to join in on that, more power to him. There are two words, though, that for all the time we've been talking so far— one was Apple caused this, and one you mentioned China. Which was the bigger word in that that would have caused the jitters? Was it Apple, one of the biggest companies well, in the world, or is it the fact that th- that Tim Cook mentioned China, <laughs> and is that the thing that gets people's? No, skidded? I mean
2: yes, yesterday it was Apple. It, 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 it would be as if like the Bank of Montreal came out and said, you know what, folks, we've uh, misestimated the uh, the uh, revenue market for. Uh, loans and for mortgages, and we're cutting it by 10%, you go, oh my God, if the Bank of Montreal's got it wrong, what else is going on? So, no, it was much more Apple. But the China situation is just a constant reminder that the United States is not an island unto itself. Donald Trump seems to think it is, that it can control the world or it, it's in char- manifest destiny, it's in charge of its own future, and it's not. It's interrelated, so you have to learn to play with the other people in the sandbox, And China is a great example of this. China, whether he likes it or not, is going to become the dominant economic power within 10 years. There's nothing he can do to stop it. So rather than antagonize them, find a way to get along with them. But this is Mr. Trump. By the way, one other thing that happened yesterday that I think also caused jitters was, of course, the Democrats took control of the House. And Nancy Pelosi said it's on, meaning that she's prepared to take on Donald Trump, even if that means impeaching him. And and they're going to put him on a short leash. So if you think you can just go putting tariffs on, we're going to be reviewing this stuff. She's not a big fan of the Canada-U.S. free trade deal. She thinks not that it's bad for the United States, but she actually thinks what happened to Canada and Mexico was bad. So they want some changes. All of this says that the market went, oh. It's going to be a tough time still.
0: You mentioned that oftentimes to, today the market could go up because people suddenly have this money in their pockets that they sold yesterday and they want to find something else to put it in or to buy back. What happens today if it goes down again, though? Does, does bad news beget bad news? Would we expect if it was a second big losing day that it would lead to more losing days? Or yeah. do we just expect a, sometime next week they're going to start buying back in?
2: Yeah, so there's a couple terms that Wall Street likes to use. Uh, one is a bull market versus a bear market. And if you have more than a 20% switch from the height uh, you suddenly get into what's known as a bear market. So if, the, say, the market was at 10,000 points and it falls to 8,000 points, oh, my gosh, that's a big enough drop that now we're into a bear market, and that changes the mentality of the buyers and sellers. Uh, also, there's a, a what they call a pullback, and uh, so more than 10% is a pullback. Now, 600 points, as big as that sounds, when the market's trading at 20,000, it's really just 2.5%. It's not a huge loss on its own, and another day like that wouldn't really upset me my advice to all investors is buy stock that you believe in. And if you liked Apple or if you like Bank of Montreal or if you like Procter & Gamble yesterday, you should still like it today because their products haven't changed. It's the market sentiment that's causing the changes in value. It's not anything the companies themselves have done. But there, there is this worry that we could self-cause our own recession. In other words, if we begin talking negative enough long enough, we can cause this. This is also why people like prime ministers and presidents try to use negative language very sparingly, at, at worst, become neutral in their economic terms or otherwise glowing, because they know that some negative words from somebody in that position can cause dramatic repercussions.
0: You mentioned the five companies that are the big ones, I know, and Apple has been at the center of this discussion. I want to go to that because you again touched on something that I, I wanted to get to. And that was Tim Cook wondering about people up re- redoing their phones, check, mm-hmm. upgrading their phones. Have they been the authors of their own demise in some <laughs> sense for this? Be- simply by, it, there was a time when people would upgrade their phones if it was 400 bucks or 500 bucks. We're now talking 1,000, 1,200 in Canadian money, $1,300. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, my phone's got to be in really rough shape for me to say I got to spend $1,300 on a phone. Have they caused some of their own problems?
2: Well, I'm going to say yes, but not in not in the way you're suggesting. So, um, uh, Mr. Cook has led. Tim Cook has led the, the post Steve Jobs years, and of course, terrible loss to Apple having Steve Jobs pass away. And if I look at at Tim Cook's years, what I see is the Apple iPad two and three and five and the iPad Air two and not that, new iPhone 10, but I don't see anything new. Mm. Uh, The only bit of new technology that came out under his watch was uh, uh, truly the watch. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. The Apple watch, which has basically been met with a big yawn because it has to be tethered to the iPhone. It isn't the Dick Tracy watch we've all been hoping for. And and where's the next where's the next big technology, Tim? So I think it's a double whammy. Yes, they've been waiting on these upgrades, but as you're right, as they get more expensive, and and how much more value? Oh, you know, I've got got 80 megapixels in the camera rather than 40 megapixels. You can tell what color the toenail is from 100 yards away. Do I really need that? <laughs> no. Um, and so you're not giving me upgrades that I feel I need. You're making them high priced, and you're not actually coming up with the next tech. Uh, talk. For instance, just to contrast that with Facebook, you know, many people would tell you today that, well, maybe the bloom is off the rose at Facebook. They only have two billion subscribers and the number of people are not going up the way it once was going up. So, and when you talk to younger people, they go, Facebook, that's what my dad uses. They're all on Instagram. Well, guess what? Facebook owns Instagram. So they, they already invested in the next generation. So whichever way it goes, they win. I'm just not sure where Apple's going. And I think this has been a question of the Tim Cook years. He's been a good steward, but he hasn't brought the next-gen stuff that's really going to keep Apple in the forefront 10, 15 years from now.
0: We do have Adam Oldfield coming up at 1130, but your choice, if you, I don't know if you ever thought of this, you mentioned the new tech. What was the new tech you wish they would invent? You ever thought about it? What you wish would no,
2: come out? No, uh, no, you see, and there's my problem, uh, Scott, I, I have to be quite candid with you. I never wanted a phone that took pictures, you know, a phone was something I spoke to grandma on, <laughs> a camera was something I took pictures with. Uh, I swear to God, this was invented by, by husbands who were sent shopping by their wives and honey. I don't know which detergent to buy. It is convenient for that. So I'll just take a picture of the shelf. You tell me which one you want. Oh, okay, there we go.
0: <laughs> I never wanted that combination. Well, a few people did, although maybe not for 1300 bucks a pop. We can find a, <laughs> a $50 phone somewhere at Best Buy. Uh, Marvin Ryder, thanks for doing this today. Really appreciate it.
2: My pleasure.
1: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Now I'm not a big fan of horror movies. That one was, I think, Jason. That was Friday the 13th, I believe. I know that one. Ha, 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 ha. Kill, kill, kill. That one, you know that one, right? Uh, if you watch them, I think I watched one, maybe two of the Friday the 13th movies years and years and years ago and could never understand why, when a psychopathic killer is running through a campground and goes into a shed, the first inclination is, hey, let's go into the shed and see if he's still in there. That never made a lot of sense to me. Anyway. So I'm not a big fan of horror movies, but I know the genre well enough to know that a fair number of plots of horror movies include people living in homes where someone has died and they are now inhabited by ghosts. And you know what ghosts are always the angriest? That's right. The ones who were killed in that house years ago by somebody else. If you need some refreshing on this, go watch the Amityville horror that, well, 1978, 79, something like that, 1980. Uh, that'll That'll explain things pretty clearly to you about angry ghosts in a home where the person was killed. The point is, for many people, the idea, whether you are a real believer in angry ghosts or not, the idea of living in a place where someone died is a little creepy, maybe even more than a little creepy. But here's the question for you. What if you're shopping? What if you're in the market for a home? You're looking around. You know what the the housing market is. It costs a fortune. To get into the housing market, you are going to have to spend a lot of money. So you're in the market. You want to buy a home. You find one that is reasonably priced, relatively speaking. It's a lovely house. It's got character, it's got charm, and it is reasonably priced. And best you can tell, the foundation isn't cracked and the walls aren't caving in and there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with this house. And then you find out the explanation, somebody was killed there. Would you buy that house? Now, you may think to yourself, how often can this happen? Well, you'd be surprised because this is something that is on the radar or at least on the, it's in the discussion if something happens that real estate agents have to deal with this kind of stuff and apparently they are very difficult to sell. Let me bring in a very familiar voice from the local real estate market. You hear him here on CHML every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 with Rick Zamper on the Hamilton Real Estate Show, Rob Golfey Rob, how are you today?
1: Good, thanks, Scott. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Anyone ever killed in your house?
1: No, not my house. Oh, that's no. good.
0: Not while you've been there anyway?
1: Now, as long as I, as long as I know, I don't, I, I don't think anybody's been killed in it in any of the houses that I've sold.
0: I was going to ask that: Have you ever tried to sell, or have ever had a house up for market that something bad had happened in?
1: There was one on the West Mountain, I think, um, that somebody was killed in, and um, usually um, we will disclose it if we know it. Um, in Quebec, it's law that they have to disclose to the buyer. That if somebody was murdered in a house in in Ontario and other provinces in Canada, the um, we do, it's not we don't have to disclose if if the buyer doesn't ask, we don't have to like it's not something that is disclosed. So 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 for instance, let's say if you're looking at a house here in Hamilton and you're looking to buy and say, hey Rob, how's the neighbor? Neighbor is fantastic. The street's great, and and. I don't know that somebody was killed in this house. It could have been 30, 40, 50 years ago, even before my time. Um, and then you move in and all the neighbors are coming to you after you move in and say, hey, Scott, you know what? Did you know somebody was murdered here? You know what? It, it, for some people, it, 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 that's an issue. So it's always good to find out if somebody has been murdered in the house that you're buying. And if, if you ask that question, it's our duty to find that information and to see if somebody has been.
0: And, and I would argue that probably for some people, it's not even necessarily murdered. I mean, that's the worst case scenario. But there would be people who would be freaked out just by the fact if someone had died in that house, even if it was of natural causes.
1: Absolutely. We do get a lot of that. We get questions that people have anybody died in this house. And, uh, and we'll ask uh, the homeowner uh, if anybody's passed away. And sometimes they may not even know, maybe, you know, two, three ownerships prior to them, somebody could have. Uh, we don't know. I mean, I lived in a, a century home that was over 100 years old uh, for about 15 years. And there's a good possibility that in that house that I lived in, there was probably somebody that did pass away at one time or another.
0: How would you pitch it if you were an agent and you did have a home that you knew had a checkered past of some kind, or at least a a, a past that would cause some people to raise their eyebrows? How do you how do you pitch that house to somebody?
1: Well, um, first of all, if I if I was a listing agent on that and had the house for sale, in the remarks it would say, please contact you know Rob Golfe uh, 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 prior to uh, making an offer. So um, right away, uh, the agent that's representing the buyer is going to re- realize that there, there is something that has to be discussed before an offer is made. And that's when I would probably say to him, listen, I just want you to know, and you, you should disclose to your client that there was a murder in the house. But if it's somebody that just passed away, you know, from a heart attack or just natural causes... Um, we don't have to disclose, disclose that. Um, it's not something that, if nobody's asking, it's, it's not a problem. But, but,
0: but it would be kept rather obtuse on Realtor.ca or whatever. There wouldn't be a big red flag that said, by the way, death here.
1: Yeah, exactly. It wouldn't be like that. Uh, no, it, it, but I would definitely disclose if there was a murder because uh, chances are, uh, when somebody does move into to the house, guaranteed the neighbors are all going to go, "Wow, I can't believe you bought this house." You know, <laughs> somebody was murdered here, or ten people were murdered here, and uh, and you're the and you're the lucky buyer that bought it. You know. D- so. we,
0: I know that you know if if you're buying a house and there has been uh, a, a, a significant structural flaw, if the foundation has had a huge crack or something like. There are things that you do by law have to disclose if you're the seller or if you're the agent. This is not something you have to put up front. But if someone were to ask, do you or does the seller have to tell them? Because this is not a structural thing for the house.
1: Absolutely. Sometimes people put it in the offer they put down. If uh, it has anybody uh, passed away or been murdered in uh, in this residence, uh, and uh, they have to disclose if there is. Really? Right? There would be
0: people yeah. who would go that far to make sure that that had not happened.
1: Ab- absolutely. There, it, you'd be. I mean, it's not. It's not a a, a large. Uh, population. But I, I'd say we get probably, uh, you know, one uh, one to two percent of the people that may ask and say they, they'll ask us if anybody passed away in the uh, residence. Now,
0: the flip side, if it ever came up, do you think most people, if they found a house at a good price and they found out that something had happened, do you think most of the people would just say, yeah, give me the house? I don't care. If it's a great price and it's standing and it's in good shape, I'll take it. I don't care what happened in there.
1: Yeah, you know what? There, there, there is. I mean, if somebody passed away, I don't think people care as much. But if somebody's been murdered Sometimes those houses end up getting rented for a long time for years uh before they can actually go up on the market and sell uh, just it just the stigma has to kind of uh, uh fade away a bit but uh and then well we know with the Bernardo case I mean mm-hmm. they tore the house down they uh and um, I'm not sure if there's anything rebuilt there uh, where uh Bernardo uh you know took people into the house and, and murdered them there
0: well, yeah, there were a, v- a bunch of things with that one. I mean, it, it, there are some that are so notorious that whether or not you are a believer in ghosts or spirits or hauntings or anything like that, or more likely you don't want to be the person to buy that house and all the neighbors think, who's the weirdo who wants to live in that house?
1: Absolutely. The best thing to do is always Google the address. because When you Google the address and just keep going through and see if anything shows up about that address, because if, if anything happened at any residence, if it hit the newspapers, it will show up. It will show up on the internet. There's no doubt about it.
0: But there is no central clearinghouse website or something, whether with the city or with the police or with real estate or anything like that, that would be a place where you could go and check addresses for all this kind of stuff,
1: is there? No, there isn't. It'd be nice to have one. I was
0: going to say, should there be?
1: Um, yeah, why not? Because uh, I I wouldn't want to buy a house that somebody was uh, murdered in, I you know, like, it kind of gives you the, you know, you know, goosebumps on your uh, back of your uh, neck. You know, uh, <laughs> I, 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 think I, I, would, you know, consider not, not uh, buying a house or maybe get a super deal on it. But that, that, that deal is always going to keep going down the line to the next buyer. Like there, that house is always going to have that stigma.
0: Yeah, especially if there's still blood stains on the carpet.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Or a drawing of a body on the floor.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And nobody seems to mind until they hear the first creak in the night. And then, oh, wait a second. We may want to rethink this thing through. How far back, Rob, how far back do you have to go? I mean, if you're, if you are being, I mean, as an agent, as a seller who is trying to do their right, do the right thing and do their proper diligence, are you expected to be researching this house back 50, 70, 100 years ago?
1: And, and that's hard sometimes. Uh, I know there's some houses in Hamilton, you know, there's been uh, murders that happened 50, 60 years ago. And, I, you know, I mean, even if I research it online, it may not even show up because they didn't have Internet back those days. And, and it may not have been put on the Internet because it wasn't, you know, content that's been in the past 20 years. But um, it, it's tough. It's It's tough. But I mean... But I, I definitely would Google the address and see if there has been anything on there and just keep going through the pages of pages of uh, online um, Internet to see if there's anything showing up. Um, it, 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 it is a tough situation, but I think uh, most people, I mean, even if it's 30 years back, people know. Like, I mean, you know, people live in neighborhoods for a long time and, and, uh, and you know, and I'm pretty sure there's one on the West Mountain that they're having. Uh, there's always issues with it when there's a sale on that one. There's always a good deal there.
0: What about other crimes? Murder, of course, is the, the worst case scenario. But what if there were other things that happened in those homes? Do you have to disclose?
1: Um, if we know about it, um, we don't have to disclose unless, it, it, unless they ask. And then we have to do our research. Then we, we, we will call the current homeowner and ask him, is there anything here that anybody passed away or anything that they know about the house? that we may not know of. What know? about,
0: okay, now this is a very different thing because in that case we're talking about loss of life, we're talking about a tragedy of some kind, and again, some people do believe that ghosts are hauntings or whatever, I guess... What about grow-ups? Grow-ups, for for a number of years in Hamilton, it seemed to have died off now that especially we've got legalized cannabis, it seems like less right. important. But for a while there, we were having busts of grow-ups, seems, every week in this city, and those kind of things just destroy the inside of a house. Do oh, you have uh, to disclose grow-up?
1: Absolutely. If we know of it, um, I uh, we, we definitely, uh, we the homeowner, the new buyer should know about that because Unless it's been uh, uh, rectified, uh, there could be uh, major issues later uh, years down the road with mold issues and all that kind of stuff. So and sometimes in, uh, mortgage companies and insurance companies will not insure houses that have that, uh, that, that was a grow off. So people should be very careful uh, when they're buying a house that was a, a prior grow off.
0: But how do you know? Because you're only, it sounds like you're only relying on the honesty of the previous owner that they would know and what if they don't know what if what if it was a girl out five years ago and there's been two yep. owners since then they they may or may not know they could know and they're just trying to hide it
1: you're right so again you, you have to google the address and see if there's see if the police have uh, been uh, there or uh if there has been a bus there or, or if, the, if the house was investigated see if there's anything that can be found um you, you definitely have to do your research on that and it, and, it, and it's wise i remember About uh, seven years ago, five to seven years ago, I I was showing a house in Stony Creek and uh, I walked in and I noticed the the hydro panel. It looked like it was tampered with. And then I noticed the, it just, I could tell it was a grow up. And the the buyers I was showing it loved the house. And I said to them, guys, I'm I'm telling you that this house was a grow up and uh, it's, you know, just, you know, some of the little things that I found. And, uh, they went to the police and they, and it, and sure enough, it, it was a grow up. They, they were, uh, busted for, uh, and, uh, the people there were arrested. And, uh, so I advise my clients not to even look at that house because, uh, even though it might be a good deal, but down the road, it could be, uh, some serious issues, uh, with mold.
0: I was going to ask that. Can you, and I don't know if you know the answer for sure, but can you go to the police and request that kind of search?
1: Yeah, sometimes if you call them they can, you know, they, sometimes they'll help you out depending on how busy they are, but yeah, absolutely. Uh they uh they, they're pretty good about it. They'll tell you, yeah, we had some investigations of, you know, marijuana grow uh there, but they won't tell you how much, you know, they could have had 3 plants or they could have had uh, 200 plants. So it just uh, you know, it's it's hard, you know, they they're limited on uh what information they can give you.
0: Uh, you mentioned the Bernardo house. We just have a minute or so left here. You mentioned the Bernardo house down in Port Toulousey that everybody remembers seeing anyone who was around during the Bernardo thing. And again, that was knocked down. Uh, there wasn't anybody killed at O.J. Simpson's house, but I know down in California in Brentwood, his house was eventually knocked down. It was notorious enough, I guess. Even, yeah. for, even for the best real estate agent, there are homes that you just can't resuscitate because of the notoriety?
1: Oh, absolutely. It, 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 you know what? You're limited on buyers you're very, very limited on who is willing to live in a house like that. And then again, when they're selling down the road, it's the same thing. And to them, when people are buying it, they may not have any problems with it, but the majority of the population do. I mean, I know if uh, if there was a house that people were murdered in, I I think I would have a little bit of, of an issue. And I'm pretty sure, you know, the general population would. So you got to find that one person that doesn't care, but, but when that person wants to sell his house, he's got all his neighbors selling for eight hundred thousand, and his and his is only worth six fifty or six hundred. He's gonna he's gonna be upset about that. But but he should have known that before he bought the house.
0: I had uh, several years ago. I don't know how long ago. I think it was a couple of years ago. There was that Amityville horror house. I think it was in New Jersey or Connecticut or wherever it was was up for sale. And I had the real estate agent on, and oh, wow. I'll tell you, he was saying the same thing. You know, I, this one was in a movie, so it actually there were people who were interested in it because of its notoriety, and other people who said, "Yeah, you know what? The whole movie was based on the fact that this house was haunted." I don't think so. It it is a it is an interesting little quirk and little corner of the real estate business that hopefully you don't ever have to deal with, Rob. I mean, well, to be absolutely. honest, but
1: I, you know what? Sometimes it's not worth taking on because it's just too much of too much of a hassle, too many headaches. Um, but I mean, like I said, there's, uh, always a buyer for every home there's, and they're out there. And,
0: and you can make up for lost money by just hosting unbelievably great haunted houses on Halloween.
1: Oh, absolutely. They're perfect. <laughs> absolutely.
0: <laughs> Rob Golfi, You can hear him every morning, every Saturday morning, nine till 10 here on 900 CHML. Uh, you see him around town, you see his ads, you know who he is. Rob, appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this.
1: Great. Have a great day. Thank you, Scott.
0: That's, uh, I don't know. Send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. Would you buy a house? that had had someone die in it, whether murdered, suicide, natural causes, whatever. Is that something that freaks you out? Or are you saying, no, you know what? Good price. I'm in. I don't care. Radley at 900CHML. would love to hear from you. Quick break. Back after this. Stay with us.
1: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900CHML.
0: There has long been a debate, a discussion, a disagreement. I don't know what the right word is about women in sports. Not well, partially women as athletes in sports, but also women's participation in sports as spectators, as debaters, as those who would get into how the game is delivered to them. Yes, whether we have enough women's sports being shown on TV, being written about, being talked about, but also how you engage women as viewers, as fans. And it's been something that there hasn't, I don't think, necessarily been a really good answer for always there have been efforts made at one time there was a women's sports illustrated that got up and running didn't last all that long there was uh women's tsn or tsn women i can't remember which way the right wording was that was designed to be an all women's network with all women's sports and Pretty much all women's commentators, and I don't know about the production staff, but it was largely based around women, didn't last all that long. And this all led to further debate about, is it that there is no interest in women's sports? Is it that the way we're delivering sports to women is not right, doesn't resonate? Is there something else going on? Well, there's a new idea, a new platform, a new website that has been started. It's called the Gist. It was started by three women, one of them, one of whom is from Hamilton, and it is taking on this task again. It is attacking this perceived problem again of how do we get women engaged in sports as viewers, as participants, as fans, as as everything else. Uh, the woman from Hamilton, her name is Ellen Hislop. She joins us now. Ellen, thanks for doing this today.
3: Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: I'm glad to have you along. Your website says, and I I was looking through it. It's a great website. I was looking through it. Uh, This quote, we created the gist because we felt underserviced by the sports industry today. What do you mean by that?
3: Mm -hmm. Um, So as you mentioned, JC Roslin and I um, all started the gist kind of in December of last year and really fully launched in July this year. And what we noticed is that women are so often left out of sports conversation and sports community. And a lot of that really stems from the fact that we didn't ourselves feel like sports news and the community as it was catered today was really meant for us or meant for women. And a lot of that really just stems from the lack of diversity in the industry today. For example, of all sports journalists, only 14% are women. Of all the sports media coverage, only 4% are on female athletes. And those female athletes only receive 0.4% of the endorsement money and of all of the team ownership for the major sports leagues, only 7% is actually owned by women. So it's no wonder that so many of these women just don't feel like sports is really for them or is relatable to them. And so because we felt that issue ourselves, we wanted to try to be able to tackle it by providing not only the website and education, but we also have a twice-weekly free newsletter that you can subscribe through to our website, which is thegistnews.ca, that basically gives you the gist of everything that you need to know in a way that women and people who are non-avid sports fans, for the most part, actually want to receive sports news.
0: Have you always felt that way? Like when you were growing no. up as a sports fan, did you always feel like it was, it was difficult to engage? Or you were a sports fan. Was it easy for you, mm-hmm. but just not easy for people around you?
3: Yeah, exactly. So growing up, I've always been a massive sports fan. My goal from a very young age was to be on TSN, to be the next Jennifer Hedger, and I absolutely love sports, and I'm obviously still crazy about sports. However, what I personally noticed growing up is that as a woman who was very interested in sports, when I tried to join the conversation, I was always kind of talked around in the conversation, and a lot of the times the conversations that I was having with sports were with Um, not a lot of them were actually with women, but women were coming to me in order to receive their sports news. So a lot of my friends, instead of going to the typical sports news outlets, were actually coming to me in order to get more of a contextualized sports news, in order to get it in a more fun way, and also to get it in a more accessible way and from a friend. It's really intimidating sometimes to be looking on a massive sports news website and not knowing all the acronyms or all the terms, or a lot of us just don't own cable anymore. So it's actually really hard to be able to tune into SportsCenter in the mornings when um, all of us are really looking at things for a mobile device. So we're trying to make sports news more accessible, quick, easy, fun by bringing sports news through the newsletters, through people's emails, through people's Instagram, and really places where they're already scrolling.
0: By the way, when you say as growing up, you grew up in Hamilton, right? Where, where Whereabouts yep. in Hamilton? where did you go to school?
3: Yes. So I grew up in Slamborough, so I went to school at Waterdown High. Okay. Um, and growing up, I played a bunch of sports. So I played soccer for the Ancaster Titans growing up. I skated at the Dave Anderchuk Arena, played basketball for the Dundas Dynamo. So I have really grown up my entire life in Hamilton, and my dad is from Hamilton. So I'm very proud to be a Hamiltonian.
0: When you would say then that you would be having discussions and you were talked around, what does that mean? What did that mean for you? What did that look like?
3: So what that looks like then and what that even looks like now is myself, for example, not being invited necessarily to fantasy football leagues, to hockey pools, to conversations around a dinner table or at a bar about sports simply because... Community and society has made us think, for the most part, that sports are a guy's thing. And that's really what we're challenging, is that sports can be an everyone thing and should be an everyone thing and can totally be something that women can get behind. It's just that we need to kind of change the frame of mind that what we've kind of received from society today is that it's mostly for men and by men, and we need to change that and say, no, it can be for everybody and should be for everyone, and why not have it be From a female voice for women, so that as much as we have this community of avid sports fans and the majority of them being men, how about we create this community of women who are super passionate about sport, or who are just have a small interest in sport but are looking to grow it?
0: Is this? Do you look at this as an uphill battle, or is this easy?
3: I hope it's. I I don't. I don't know if I would necessarily say it's a uphill battle or that it's going to be super easy. I think that it's somewhere in between. We've received a lot of traction on their newsletter. We have a great number of subscribers now and a lot of them are really engaged and are really passionate about the disk, which is amazing to see. So I think that Sports fans, women sports fans are obviously out there, myself definitely being one of them. Um, And a lot of women are interested in becoming more sports fans. A lot of people, and not just women, but a lot of people who are more so non-avid sports fans are looking to learn more about it. And so while I think that from an industry basis, in terms of the numbers that I was speaking to earlier about having more women become sports journalists or having more female athletes actually um, talked about in sports media or sports games being shown on the networks like TSN, ESTN, sports Center, Sportsnet, all that sort of stuff. That part of it might be an uphill battle, but for us, to we think that there's a great opportunity to to grow a great community of fans.
0: Yeah, the last part, and I'll be honest, the last part to me does seem like the uphill battle. I was speaking at at Mm -hmm. McMaster a few years ago uh, to a class, a couple hundred people in the class, mostly women in this particular classroom, and I asked for a show of hands of who in the last, I don't know what, I said three months, six months, a year, whatever, has been to a a women's basketball game, volleyball game, hockey game, anything Mm -hmm. involving female athletes and very 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 few hands went up and this was a class of as i say primarily women and i was looking at this thinking if i'm not saying that women have to support women as some sort of cause or some sort of obligation but if women aren't going to watch even women's sports that's a that's a tough place to start from
3: definitely and i think it's again a society thing of what we you know see on tv and what we think is seen as a better sport or is more exciting um, it's just simply not the case and I think just everybody all together we can do a better job at supporting women athletes women sports leagues um, women sports journalists um, all of that sort of stuff so that we can continue to see change in society and I think a lot of that also stems from the fact that as kids you know it's I think it's over double the amount of women are dropping out of sports at the age of 14 in comparison to men. So what's happening there at that age that women aren't feeling like sports are for them or that they want to stay in tune with competitive sports and all that sort of stuff. So a lot of this is kind of systemic issues, and hopefully the GIFs can start to tackle some of this sort of stuff by at least providing an outlet that people can feel like they can go to and that women can feel like they can go to for a safe space to talk about sport where they don't feel inadequate but they actually feel really empowered by sport news, sports content, and sports experiences.
0: As I was looking around your website, one of the things that I noticed, I was looking at your most recent newsletter and Mm -hmm. there were in the Stories. there were some things that I, I'll i describe as basic explanations, and, and I hope that's not mm-hmm. insulting, but uh, you were writing about the World Juniors this week, and here's a quote from it. The World Juniors is one of the most anticipated hockey events of the year and is an annual under-20, bracket all players are between the ages of 16 and 20, tournament where the top 10 hockey countries compete to become the world champions. Uh, writing about the NFL playoffs, a total of 12 teams make it to the playoffs. Four of these teams get a bye, meaning they get to skip over the first round of the playoffs because they place first or second in their conference it sounds like when you're talking about a safe space, uh, part of that is education that you're assuming and probably correctly that to draw some people in who are not necessarily sports fans, you have to take it right back to the, to the foundation and make sure that people understand what it is they're talking about.
3: Definitely. So part of the just that makes us different from Regular sports news is that we do like to contextualize everything. So we like to set up everything. We like to provide the so what of why it's important. Because again, when you don't understand or if you don't know all of the process and the acronyms and, let's say, how the NFL playoffs are set up or let's say how the world juniors are set up. The more you know and the more you're educated about the topic, the more you're going to be interested in a topic and more excited about it. So we're also trying to provide that foundation to those non-avid sports fans.
0: And that's not just with women's sports. That's no. That's for all sports. Exactly. So before you came on, when I was leading into this, one of the things I said I was going to ask you, because I really I find this really interesting, is you're bringing, you're clearly, the, the goal of this, among other goals, is to bring a female mm-hmm. perspective to what we're talking about. How do you think women perceive or see or absorb or use sports differently? And I'm talking about as a viewer, not as a participant. How do they see it or use it differently from men, from your experience?
3: Right. So from our experience and also from some data collected in the past, actually by ESPN, they did a survey in 2011. Um, A lot of Women are actually more interested in the storytelling side of sports, so more so the human interest side, um, more so looking at the maybe crazy plays and crazy highlights, but also looking at the player behind who's doing it, um, more so having a favorite player that turns into a favorite team, or if it is a favorite team, what's the story about that franchise? And while so much of the time sports news can get sucked in around all of the different sort of stats of people's ERA and IP and power play minutes and all of that sort of stuff, while women can 100% understand stats, appreciate stats, and some definitely want to know stats, a lot of the time we actually are more interested in the emotional aspect of sport and how it makes us feel. Um, and especially as non avid sports fans, a lot of those stats again can be somewhat intimidating or somewhat hard to follow all the time so sometimes when we're speaking to stats we'll say okay this is the record that was broken and this is why this is a big deal so it's again providing that contextualization so the next time that they read something with the stats involved then they're more appreciative um, of them or they're looking for them more and seeking them out more Um, and it's also just we're trying to talk about sports the way that we would speak to our friends and so it's a lot more conversational. It's a lot more irreverent. It's funny. We're not afraid to state our opinion. Um, and so that's also what we're going for and trying to make it a little bit more fun.
0: Uh, believe me, it's not just women who struggle. When I look at baseball stats, sometimes I, I'm still trying to figure out what the heck half of these things are that they're talking about. <laughs> that's that's so, a u- yeah, that's a universal one, I think. But I get your point. You mentioned a couple women who are on, and there's more than a couple, I mean, especially in Canada, we've done a pretty good job, I think, of having female sportscasters in this country, especially on the highlight shows and stuff. But when you see them on TSN, on Sportsnet, on wherever, are they, this is a weird question to ask, and I'm trying to think of the right way to say it so as not to be too Mm -hmm. insulting, are they working as a female face on a male sensibility or do they really have a different way of bringing sports to people in other words when they get on is there an expectation that they are supposed to be like everyone else all the guys and so they change or are they directly told do you think be like that so that it may be a woman's face you're seeing but she's not really doing anything different from all the other
3: people mm-hmm. that's a, that's a really good question and i definitely don't want to speculate because i'm not sure 100% what these women are told. What I can say is that I'm so thankful for all of the women that are sportscasters and broadcasters that are out there, because I think without having them on TV, a lot of little girls and women who are watching SportsCenter actually wouldn't have a role model to be spoken to, and I've had the opportunity to speak with a couple over the phone in terms of mentorship, and these women are so impressive. They really know their stuff with everything about sports, and they're so talented, at broadcasting and sportscasting. And while they might still be speaking to a majority of a male audience, um, and that might change the way that they might be told to be a broadcaster. Again, I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, I am very thankful that, the, um, that they are there.
0: So again, your website is called The Gist. Where does it go from here? Because it's sort of following in the model, I suppose, loosely of The Athletic, which is a startup Mm -hmm. online thing. But where do you go from here? How do you make this work long term?
3: Yeah, so our goal is to be the go-to source for sports for women. And so right now, we're really focusing on Ontario and providing content, especially for Toronto right now. But as you just kind of said, by looking at The Athletic and their model is really expanding Sports by city and because we all know that sports are super localized so what we care about in the GTA and in Hamilton is going to be totally different than what somebody is caring about in LA so our goal is to actually be able to expand across cities first focusing on North America so we're looking to expand to a couple of cities this year in Canada and a couple of cities as well in the US and we're also looking to provide um, gisters, which is what we call our subscribers and uh, people who follow us on Instagram, all of our social media, we're looking to provide them with news how they want and when they want. So really this year, in addition to having our twice-weekly free newsletter, all of our written content and all of our social media, we will be looking to expand into audio as well as video content so that we can really be that go-to source for sports.
0: You do have one additional challenge, though, that I think even The Athletic, now The Athletic is charging a subscription fee, but you have one challenge that I think even they don't have, and that is, by your explanation, part of your mandate is to draw people into sports who don't necessarily know that they want to be reading sports or have felt excluded. So it's a, it's a, it seems to me it's an extra hurdle you have to overcome to convince somebody that may not think they're a sports fan that they could become a sports fan if you come to our site.
3: Yes, you you nailed it on the head. It's definitely a little bit harder from that perspective, and it's something that we are trying to continually work on our messaging with respect to marketing and to speaking with non-avid sports fans and how we actually reach them, Um, and again, in terms of that education point. um, And what's amazing is that our community of Jisters is – growing it's large but they're also super engaged so we ask them for feedback all of the time and with a lot of that feedback a lot of our messaging has come out of it in terms of how we can better communicate to them with respect to the content in our newsletter but also with respect to content and marketing and getting the word out there which has been enormously helpful so it's definitely a challenge but it's something that with the help of our community we're hoping to be able to conquer as soon as we can.
0: Her name is Ellen Hislop. She is one of the founders of The Gist, G I S T, the website, by the way. Uh, shout it out there just so people can look it up.
3: Yes. So it's www.thegistnews.ca, and you can subscribe to our free twice weekly newsletter from there.
0: Ellen, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it.
3: Thanks so much. Have a good one.
0: Uh, thegistnews.ca, if you want to go and check that out, it's worth a look. And if you, as I was looking at this, what really struck me is if you're. And I'm not saying anything sexist here. It's exactly, exactly what Ellen just said. This is for largely in a lot of ways for women who aren't necessarily already into sports. If you're a guy, if you're a husband, a boyfriend, whatever, and you are, and you would like your significant other to maybe be able to participate and catch up and be in this, and they aren't necessarily a sports fan right now. This is the kind of thing I would think that's a good launching point for them to get a a start into this and get some explanation and maybe feel a little more included. That's the idea behind it. The GIST, G-I-S-T, thegistnews.ca. Give it a look.
1: The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on
0: 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts,
2: Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML.